Paul and I record DVD clutter on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people. We would like to acknowledge and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, who have cared and continue to care for this land. This week is NAIDOC week and we encourage you to engage and inform yourself with what the week means. Have a look at nadoc.org.au for some history of the week and there's lots of events and different ways that you can get involved. In recognition of this year's theme, we would like to acknowledge that this land always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hi, I'm Paul. And I'm Beck. And this is DVD Clutter. Hi, Paul. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. I'm very excited for our first ever part two of our double feature. I know, our science fiction double feature, feature show. That's right. Um, have you been listening to the soundtrack in between episodes? I haven't been listening to the soundtrack, but I have been singing all the songs in the shower and while <laughs> I do the dishes. So it's my Excellent. own version of the yeah. soundtrack. It's like I'm the shadow cast. Yeah. You know? Yes. <laughs> Great reference, because we are going to talk this episode all about kind of the surrounding, the things that are surrounding Rocky Horror Picture Show. We've kind of covered the film itself and what we think of the film, but this episode we're going to delve into the absolute insanity that is uh, the cult of Rocky Horror and the fandom and the craziness that surrounds the film. Yeah, um, we we very much pulled it apart as the film that it is last episode, but now this one isn't, isn't just a film, unlike... A lot of the other movies we look at, this is something that's become so much more. Mm. Uh, how do you want to talk about, I guess, last time we looked about the movie itself, what was in the movie, the cast, how we felt about it. Maybe we start off, we talk a little bit more about how it came into existence and then yeah, what happened after it was almost accidentally released. Yeah, yeah I reckon we start from maybe um, production through reception and, and audience participation. Sounds good, but just before we do, have you had any feedback on the part one? Uh, no. Okay. I have not been interacting with anyone. Um, I've had a couple of people talk to me about part one. Very keen for part two. Yeah, excellent. And interesting, I've had feedback from a few straight men talking about what we talked about last episode and sort of not feeling at ease with the film on mm. first viewing or mm-hmm. running away from it. Mm-hmm. I'm also like men sort of, I, I feel that are similar to me that, you know, maybe have had an involvement with community theatre, maybe mm-hmm. have, you know, been into the camp sort of. The style, yeah. In the past, but this one was something something particular, and, and that I guess threatened to um, traditional masculinity or perceived masculinity yeah. as a big part of it. And it got me thinking about it. I think what where that comes from, as opposed to other sort of like camp media or media that you know deals with you know even characters in drag. Yeah, this one really just doesn't give any any um sort of traditional representation of the straight laced male there's no one which as opposed to like all other media where there's very much a white male normal the time character for me to identify with mm. even brad in this who's sort of set up as that it's a parody of that who mm. dives head first yeah into it. he gets the he gets the fever or he takes he you know it, it um overcomes mm. him as well yeah yeah i mean a lot of the time when you when you know, in traditional, I guess, Western media, when we see a man in drag, it's set up as a joke. Mm -hmm. Whereas Tim Curry in this, you know, there's the release of the cape, 
Mm. And it, it's not the punchline there. It's a very comfortable person. It's, that a, is just... it's a power move. It's like, mm. it's yeah. it's just so confident and so sexy and yeah, just amazingly powerful and full of here I am, you know? Yeah. And you can almost see this, what I, and I maybe overthought this a little bit too much in the, the two weeks, but okay. it, there's, there's a scene where Meatloaf then comes out of the freezer on his bike. Yeah. And there is almost like, it's almost like the film saying, well, here's your hardcore male. Um, Macho, yeah. And then he's graphically killed yeah. by <laughs> yes. Frank Furter. And then his reputation as sort of as the macho man is then torn apart as we sort of hear that he's sort of been Frankenfurter's lover and then yeah. Frankenfurter eats him. and it's Yeah, it, that's so true. rips that apart. It is... um. Pretty amazing, this movie. If you want to really delve into, um, into you know, looking into the deeper meaning and analysing metaphors and all that kind of stuff, you could totally read it that way. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Anyway, that just got me thinking this week. No, well, that's actually, you've prompted me to rethink and I I did hear from, back from my brother. So I think I talked about Geordie really disliking it when I was playing the music and I I attributed that to him being threatened his fragile masculinity at the age of 13 or 14 being threatened by um this and he he rang me and said no I just hated the music (laughs) (laughs) Um, we all know is alive because the music is fantastic exactly exactly well then he he did say he did say oh he probably was threatened slightly but he also did rightly point out that I don't think he had seen the movie like I think I watched it at this theater before I had a screening at the theater before signing up to do the stage production at this small theater in my town so I watched it there I hadn't watched it at home so he's probably right in saying he actually hadn't watched the film at the point when I started Mm. playing the music so Mm. it's probably a bit of both you know yeah We'll get the fact-checking team on all of that <laughs> yeah. once they're done with the election. Yeah, exactly. That's right. I think that might take a while. Uh. Yes. But how did this movie come into existence? We talked about um, the stage show a bit last episode. Mm. But to get it to a movie, someone had to see that stage show and think, well, I'm going to make money out of it. Because as much as we love cinema as an art, it's, it's a it business. is about the dimes and cents. Yeah. Dimes and cents? Is that a thing that people say? Um, well, I think you've you've just time hopped, right? You've done a time warp because yeah. you've gone dimes and then you've gone cents. Yes. Yeah. And um, dimes and cents is actually all that this movie made on first release. Yes. No, no one saw it. No. Did you want to talk a little bit about the production? Yes. Well, I've got a few random bits and pieces of info about the production, which I don't think we covered last time, but my memory is pretty bad. So if we have, just stop me. On the DVD that I've got, on the special features, there was heaps of interviews with the cast and um, they talked about the production itself and the way they described it, it sounded like it was very, very low budget. Um, It was not something that was given a lot of attention by the studio. I think they were just kind of, oh yeah, go you've got this much, here's a space, whatever. Susan Saradin, I think I talked a little bit about how Susan Saradin got the part. Yeah, yeah. And so she, she knew Tim Curry. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so she was like one of the only American actors there and the rest of them were really involved in the stage show as well. So they'd already done the stage show multiple times, especially like Tim Curry and Richard O'Brien, obviously. Mm. Yeah, like it was apparently they were like, it was freezing, freezing cold. They had like hardly any heaters. Susan Saradin actually got pneumonia 
at one point yeah. and that wasn't that was like <laughs> looked upon more as like a um an inconvenience to the the production rather than like oh shit what can we actually do about this yeah and, and then yep. she said that they're you know what they planned to do to try and make her more comfortable or make everyone more comfortable they they got all these space heaters and they put them in one room so everyone could kind of go in there pile in there in between shots and in between scenes but then apparently that caught fire and then that was the end of that and then they just had to do it in like the freezing cold um so it sounds like a very uncomfortable production actually like as much as it looks like this amazing and i think it was still they would have still had like you know a good time at, at times but she said she was put up in a really like dingy hotels and had to hotel hop for a while and it just wasn't a very slick production. Yeah. Well, as far as like the research I've done into the production of it, I can't actually, I haven't actually read anywhere about when it got greenlit or who mm. actually decided to sort of bring it to the screen. All that seems to be is that the producers, yeah, the the film wasn't spending a lot of money, so they didn't really um, pay any attention to it. Yeah. Until they did. And then suddenly they freaked out because they had no idea what they were going to do with this thing. Yeah. Once they started see, started seeing the, the edits and stuff, do you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and sort of this comes from sort of my memory of a, a documentary that we will look at because I have it on DVD called Midnight Movies. Yeah. Um, but Is that a book as well? It might be, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, near the end of the shoot, people from Fox started coming in and being like, uh, stop building things, stop spending any money. Just, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> one takes good, great, excellent. Yeah. Get right. out of here. Yeah, okay. Because um, Fox is like, you know, this wasn't made by some indie No, or niche tiny little company. company. Yeah. It, yeah, it was 20th Century Fox and then they suddenly had it and yeah. didn't know what to do with the release. So completely bungled the... um. Well, they didn't put any... That already felt like they'd spent too much money building a giant RKO tower and a pool. Yep. <laughs> no good reason. So they didn't advertise it at all. And it was sort of only out of luck that a group of people in New York started seeing it every week well i think they from what i heard it kind of so um who else talked about it a lot um meatloaf likes to talk as we talked about last time um and he talked a lot about the production and and its reception afterwards as well and the thing he he told a funny story about the production with the motorbike scene actually that you're talking about when when he comes out um when eddie comes out of the freezer on his motorbike and, and he drives right around the um the little amphitheater that they're in and that i think was quite a that was quite dangerous. They wanted him to get on a real motorbike and do it himself and he couldn't do it because he couldn't ride a motorbike. Um, So then they had this stuntman do it and then the stuntman at one time actually fell off the double-story balcony so he fell all the way down but then was fine and was like right let's do it again so it was like pretty chaotic not very safe but you know it ended up looking great and oh then then what they did oh yeah this is pretty amazing they had so you know i don't know if you remember the shot but they had there's a shot where you just see eddie's face and it's like the camera is mounted to the front of the yeah 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 yeah, the front of the motorbike so that shot is actually meatloaf in i think a wheelchair which has had motorbike handles mounted on top of it so you can see the oh, motorbike handles coming out and the cameras there as well and he like rolls down the ramp and he said he came out of that at one stage and everything like went everywhere so like the the camera went one way and the the handlebars that had kind of been taped on went another way so yeah it just sounds like a pretty chaotic 
set and a pretty like um like ramshackle let's just tape this together let's try this let's try that you know making ends meet where they could which you can kind of from Richard O'Brien and uh, what's the who directed it again Jim Sharman um, Jim Sharman's sort of point of view I can imagine them also doing things like that because going if we let anyone up higher than us sort of know what's going on they're gonna they shut us down s- yeah they're gonna, they're gonna start asking questions about why yeah. they're putting any money into this at all yeah so yeah you can imagine oh yeah just just take that on just yeah <laughs> yep good cool That's and fine. also it, it kind of like it it's kind of a bit of a theater mindset as well like you oh, know yeah. theater people have no money and putting on productions with whatever they can scrounge around most of the time so yeah it's just a let's make do with what we've got kind of mindset yeah <laughs> which must have been interesting for someone like susan saradin to come in to um yeah um meatloaf also I was about to call him Eddie Murphy, but (laughs) Eddie Meatloaf. Eddie Meatloaf also talked about the release. And in his mind or in his memory, whatever he he talked about it, like someone actually kind of took it from Fox and kind of did a bit of a sneaky release. Like it kind of got sent around to different universities. Um, And then eventually they started realizing that it was popular on university campuses. And then it got, then they re-released it as this midnight movie. And particularly in New York at the uh waverly yeah the way yeah the waverly theater that's where it started really gaining traction in terms of having repeat audiences Mm, and it and part of it was and we'll get into talking about this was the was the fact that you know people like for old midnight movies um which when we look at that documentary we can talk more about yeah i'm so pumped Um, that. yeah people you know started shouting out their own jokes they started singing along they started acting along and um, yep. there was a great quote, quote from um, Roger Ebert, the, the film critic from the US, talking about the, the lasting nature of Rocky Horror. And he was sort of saying, people started to come to watch it because what, on the, what was on the screen wasn't fantastic. It was never particularly, you know, well put together. But the stage shows that happened in front of it was so elaborate and so amazing that it was a... It's like it a show in itself. That a lot. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Can we, can we talk a little bit about... Oh, no, you go. Oh, I was just going to say, on, on the note of its release, um, one interesting fact that I think I brought up last time, but I'll just elaborate on a little bit more, is um, that Rocky Horror Picture Show is actually the film that's had the longest release of all time. It has technically been in release ever since it was first released. It never, um, never has left theatres. Wow. Which is amazing. Mm. Um, and also, like... It is enough of a, a fact and a thing to keep out there that it's actually stopped Disney in its tracks. And, you know, Disney's that Disney doesn't care about much apart from mm-hmm. cash money. Yeah. And Disney, as we know, recently bought Fox. And Disney's sort of model with um, film release is that it has a thing called the Disney Vault. Yeah. And that means that it will keep all of its films under lock and key and then only, only you know, on rare occasions, open them up so that they can be screened in a theatre. Yeah. Um, they used to do the same thing with VHS releases and DVDs, but things got a bit different now with streamers. But yeah, they are doing this now with all the Fox films. Fox films, which used to be able to, as a film theatre, you could pay money to Fox and they'll send you the prints to screen. Disney's now locking all of them up right. and only releasing them to, you know, make them a bit more uh, Special. hard to come yeah. by. Yeah. But they're not doing it to Rocky Horror because yeah. that would... Yeah, um, it would cause, cause chaos. 
Yeah, that's. I think the world would end. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Forget the on a nice US election. Moment, yeah, yeah. yeah, but I, I think that's huge. Like that, yeah, it is the huge. Fact that this thing is enough of a cultural phenomenon to stop Disney try and make an extra buck. Is, yeah, pretty massive. Yeah, yeah. and I, yeah, I think they know the backlash would be severe. Um, yeah, yeah. So I don't know if you know the answer to this, but when I was trying to understand like the origin of you know audience participation in films, and I was just I wasn't even searching in terms of Rocky Horror, but I was searching in general. General, Rocky Horror came up the most often as like one of the earliest examples of this phenomenon. Do you know anything about that? Or is that in Midnight Movies? Is that something we'll talk about later on? Yeah. Um, like the Midnight Movie thing was sort of already established before Rocky Horror came in and Rocky Horror was important to it because it did make it more elaborate. But I guess the performative aspect of the earlier ones were more just like, I'm thinking about things such as Pink Flamingos or... Um, Reefer Madness. Oh, yeah. They were movies that, you know, people would shout out jokes or people right, would okay. yell out lines. Yeah. But Rocky Horror became, because I guess it is a stage show, it was the, I don't know, felt like the first one to actually have people acting out the movie. Right, in front okay. Of the, in front of it, that shadow cast yeah. thing. So when we but, talk about shadow yeah. cast, maybe we should just. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> elaborate on that a little bit, which is. So essentially, what happens is you've got real live actors standing in front of the movie screen, the film screen, and they are acting as the film plays. So Mm. you can watch, you know, both sides of it. You can see this. Um, And then the audience participation part is the yelling at the screen and throwing things and firing water pistols and getting dressed up and all of that side of it as well. And they'd have like rotating casts that have people, you know, who would play the same characters again and again. And then, then they'd have different people come on and, yeah. Yeah. There's Pretty a amazing. whole, like, um, Wikipedia thing, like, I think it's called Rockypedia or something, that has all the detail about not only the movie and the different professional stage shows, but has, like, all the, like, really well-known casts and cast members yeah. for each district of the world. Which wow. Which I stumbled across that, and that was kind of cool. Um, wow. And there's certain cast members that are called Rocky Elders. Oh, that, um, wow. Like, you know, traditional ones and will now sort of tour around at conventions and... Wow. Um, yeah. The the local Melbourne chapter is called the Pelvic Thrusts. And they <laughs> okay. um, quite frequently are at the Asta. Yeah. Um, Have you ever gone? When we could go to cinemas. No. I've I was a bit. Sc- I've always been a bit scared. Um, I want to go. I want to go. Yeah. Maybe we can make I that think, a 2021 goal. Yeah. I think it would be amazing. Yeah. Um, we went to a Blues Brothers one and we got all dressed up. Um, oh, sweet. Yeah, that was good when we were little. But I don't think that was as intense and no. culty then. But it was it was at the Astor and everyone was dressing up and stuff. But I think that was pretty much it. Um, I think there um, was a couple of lines that people yelled out in that one. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't even been to the room. No, me um, neither, actually. Well, yeah, that's another one. Yeah, okay. Um, we'll make a, make a list of cult movies. Beck and I are just making all our plans for 2021. 2021. Because why not? You know, <laughs> that's what people want to hear. We've got to have some positivity. You know, we've got to have something to look forward to. Um, so on the... The yelling out. So this started as, you know, something quite spontaneous and and just a, a reaction to what was happening on the screen from people who have gone again and again. I think the first person who's really kind of been attributed with getting it started and, and yelling out at the screen was a actually a school teacher <laughs> called um, Louis Faris Jr. I'm not sure if you found that example. No. Um, Louis Faris Jr. who is described as a normally a normally quiet teacher who upon seeing the character Janet place a newspaper over her head to protect herself from the rain yelled, buy an umbrella, you cheap bitch. <laughs> 
And then, and then that later on, this was like taken on by other people in, you know, the regulars who went on and they, they've come up with like, it actually became quite a structured script. And it was very much like, you have to say these lines at these particular points in time. And it's likened in what I was reading about, it's likened to the repressed characters of Brad and Janet at the start of the film. So it's like this very kind of rigid, you need to say this here, you need to say this here. And it was like a very um, well-practiced call and response. But I think that's kind of gone a bit haywire now, unfortunately. And I think when I watched the, the DVD extras, there's a a one I think I talked about this last time but there's a version where you can watch you watch the movie and then it cuts away to the same scene but at a theater somewhere and they've got people acting it out and people yelling out and honestly when I did that I just it just sounded like people screaming at the screen so it really just sounded like it was incoherent half the time it just sounded like crazy madness and I've read that Susan Saradin's talked about this as well she's I think she went to see it you know she went to see it originally with and she actually took Molly Ringwald when she was 11 that which is so cute imagine having Susan Saradin as one of your mentors that'd be so lovely yeah and so she took her to go see it and it was like this really structured call and response. And then she said she went and saw it, you know, many years later and it was just absolute chaos and it's lost that kind of structured side of it, which I'd be interested to see what it, what it's like at in Melbourne actually, Mm. but I've got a little recording. Do you want to hear? I recorded this from when I was watching it. Yeah. All right. Let's see if this records properly. Anyway, I'll leave it there. Can you, could you hear that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so some of it was coherent and some of it's just like, wah, 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 wah. But I've got the script and there's actually a a special feature that you can have on the DVD where it plays like subtitles of the audience participation script. And it's pretty full on. Like, (laughs) did you look at the script? Um, I I have in the past. I actually didn't re-look at it for the podcast. When I was... Oh, it would have been one of my first couple of years of uni. I was like, I should go try and go to a shadow cast, but then I wimped out of it. <laughs> it's so full on. So every time Brad appears, you're meant to yell out asshole. <laughs> um, and every time Janet appears, you're meant to yell out slut. But only before, only after she's become, in quotation marks, become a slut. And before okay. that, before she's become a slut, you've got to yell out, she's not a slut yet, give her a chance. <laughs> And then the response that you yell out that then some, then, then other people yell out, we gave her a chance last week and she blew it. (laughs) And then when Dr. Scott comes, you've got to boo or yell kiss ass. Then like, this is just from the first, it's just so full on. This is the first when science fiction double feature plays with the lips at the start of the film. Mm. So it goes, you know, then something went wrong for Faye Ray and, and then you've got to say over the top of and you've got to say fucked. So it's like for Fay Ray fucked King Kong. And you've got to say her dong. They got caught in a s- <laughs> <laughs> They got caught in a sexual jam instead of celluloid jam. And then you, there's just lots of like wah wah wahs and saying sex, sex, sex. And then it said instead of see androids fighting, you've got to say <laughs> 
you've got to say um fucking and sucking on brad and janet brad's a faggot and then and francis stars in deep throat debbie does dallas and forbidden planet like it's just total like sexual not even innuendo it's just like a full like full-blown look at this one like when I saw Jeanette Scott is meant you change it to when I saw Janet's twat. <laughs> Just <laughs> Yeah. That is wild. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty crazy. And then like it's just it's it does sound like fun because it's like they're just whenever Janet you've before <laughs> Oh God, I'm just reading it and laughing. Sorry. So when Betty, Betty's getting married at the wedding at the start and she throws the bouquet and Ralph says, um, well, Betty's going to throw the bouquet and then everyone has to yell, Hey Janet, do you have Sif? And then she says, I got it. I got it. As she like (laughs) catches the bouquet. It's just so stupid. Yeah. But that's the fun of it. Yeah. The closest I've ever been to sort of that sort of atmosphere is at Toronto International Film Festival. They have midnight screenings there for sort of more like you know genre kind of stuff yeah it's a wild atmosphere the whole theater's filled and people have got like beach balls and they're you know banging them around in the crowd and then the ads play and it's always the same ad reel right and yeah as the fortnight went on with the movie screenings the same ads would be the same people would start you know responding to oh um, really like the ads yeah yeah, there was like one for a bank that was sort of like, the script was this girl was leaving her job to become a script writer. And yeah, people would just start shouting out, no, you'll ruin your life. Or, <laughs> yeah. You know, and yeah, by the end of it, like everyone knew to say the, you know. Yeah, yeah. certain lines. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like um, people are bored watching the same. I wish we did that at, at MIF. Like I'm sick of seeing those ads at MIF. I wish yeah. we just, we've got to get up the nerve one day, Paul. We've got to maybe have a few drinks to start yelling at the screen. We've got to get onto it. Yep. That, that can be, a, that can be another 2021 goal. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Ruin MIF. <laughs> no, just the ads. We've just done it for the ads. They just play the same ones again and again. But just maybe. Just running all around Melbourne just, just to get to the ads before every session. Yeah. See, not one film. Yeah, um, and we can take some of these. You know, we could say "sit on my face and wiggle." No, sit on my scrotch and jiggle. Like you know, yeah, <laughs> just so full on, so graphic. Yeah. So we, we've talked about you've got the things to shout out. You've got the um, shadow cast performing, but there's also props, right? Mm, yes, there is lots of props. Yeah. So there's like you've got to throw hot dogs at the screen. I think whenever Frankfurter comes on, Frankenfurter. Forgot that's, his name now. That's gonna get messy, isn't it? Yeah, I think that, I think theater, some theaters really hate it because it was like when they're getting married, people were throwing grains of rice, and of course that's a yeah. nightmare to clean up. Yeah, yeah, that's awful. Yeah, and so they so the rice, the hot dogs. There's the you've got to have the newspaper over your head, don't you? For you've got to have the yeah. newspaper over your head when you yell out, "Buy an umbrella, you cheap bitch!" And you've got to, <laughs> which just sounds so full on now. Um. And you've got to have water pistols so that you simulate the rain mm. as well. What else do you have to do? That's all I can remember. It's so full on too because everything we've sort of been talking about so far with it as well is in like the first little chunk of the movie. That's before things even go sort of wild. Yeah, totally. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Like it's going to get, you know, more and more crazy as the as the, the film goes on. Oh, yeah, hit some other ones. Like apparently you're throwing toast at some point. I'm not sure when. And toilet paper. And then obviously people dance during the, the time warp. What? <laughs> ridiculous i know that is ridiculous <laughs> yeah oh, i'm excited now i can't wait i think i'm gonna go as 
Hmm. Should I go as Janet or Magenta? Not sure. I think I'd just go as a Transylvanian. Just a know? random Transylvanian? Yeah. They have some pretty great costumes. That, there'd be so many good, like, you know, named characters there that I wouldn't want to... Yeah, you 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 want to do it justice or you don't want to mm. be, like, outdone by somebody else. Yeah, obviously, that's it. That's, <laughs> that's if I'm not going to be the best, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Exactly. And that is totally fair enough, Paul. <laughs> yeah, what a wild ride. I really hope that... I mean, I'm sure it'll, it'll happen again in Melbourne, won't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll do it and then we'll do a part three where we report back. <laughs> yeah. Anything else we need to talk about with the audience participation? I don't think so. I I did want to just come back to that point that, yeah, they, they do have annual conventions that I looked at like the headlining acts of who was appearing, thinking, yeah. you know, that that have some of the stars from the film and occasionally they do yeah or people that have played on you know in productions yeah of the stage show um but yeah a lot of the time the headline panels are these you know um shadow casting elders that are mm. the ones that, yeah that have been there from the very beginning and are still popping up and you know at, at different ones across the country and sort of their life now which is amazing yeah well, i was looking at one of the big conventions they had though Guess who's play? Guess friend. Guess which friend of the podcast has played Frankenfurter live on the West End? Um, it's got to be the one, the only Tom Hanks. No, it wasn't Tom Hanks. That would be great, though. Okay, wait. Let me try again. Is it? Is it? Oh my god, I've forgotten his name. Who's the other one that we love? Who's come? He turns up in everything. John. Not John Lithgow. No, but oh, actually, I wouldn't I be shocked if he, if he had at some stage. But um, Anthony right, Stewart Head. Oh no way! Actually, that totally makes sense. Of I course, know, right? Anthony Stewart Head has but done that. How like he can sing? Yeah, he's beautiful. Yeah, I want to see his Frankenfurter. Yes. Do you know who I don't want to see? Craig McLaughlin. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm so annoyed that that whole scandal with Craig McLaughlin happened with Rocky Horror Picture Show. I just don't want anything to taint it. You know, and I hate that it's been on the news again recently because he's going through the court proceedings at the moment. And I'm just like, and he just looks gross as well. Like, yeah, not that I'm not commenting on whether or not, you know, the allegations are true or false. I have no idea, but they're probably true. And he looks like a scumbag. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. It adds an ickiness to it of something that I know pure seems like the wrong word for Rocky Horror, but. But no, but you're right. Like it is pure in a way. Um. Like it's it's pure like I don't know it's pure it's yeah impurity. <laughs> That's it. It is yeah. It's something that like you know it, the naysayers of the film or people that would be against its message that point to this. You know it's it's giving it's giving the haters ammo. Mm. I feel all those haters. Mm. So many haters. Yeah. But I think it is pure, and I think that comes down that comes down to um, the performance of because I don't know what it would be like actually to see it as a stage show with someone else playing. Frankenfurter. I just think Tim Curry is just so mm. like I don't know, just so alive in this role and so beautiful in this role. And he's he's just captures that real naivety and innocence of Frankenfurter. It's like reminds me of like a teenager who's given all this freedom all of a sudden, and they're exploring and they're doing all this um, this exploration and self identity searching. I suppose um, that's why it's innocent. That's why it's it's pure. Yeah, yeah. In it, in its even though it's you know very. Very naughty. Yes. And made naughtier by the things you can yell out. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so naughty. Oh, dear. Yeah. But uh, you look, you know, it is something that is going to 
stick around forever. And for something that was thrown together in a winter in London to mm. keep people employed, um, you know, and yeah. fell into a film that everyone working yeah. on it, that was the other thing that sort of keeps coming up when they talk, talk about the production and the producers. Everyone sort of involved was like, no one's going to see this, slash, this will get shut down tomorrow. <laughs> you know, like, yep. <laughs> no one, yeah. And now, yeah. It, it is infiltrated everything. There's a Sesame Street episode that, you know, is a parody on no, it. No, yeah. that's so good. You know, Glee did a full episode looking at it. They did. Yeah. I felt a bit weird about that at the time. Um, I was never, I was always against Glee. Why were you against Glee? I don't know. I, yeah. <laughs> too, too American? Yeah, there's something about it. I think it was also people assumed that I'd like it, I think. So I wanted to like... Oh, so you were like rebelling. But I don't know. It's like me and Ben Harper. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But also I kind of feel like there's not a lot of substance to it. It went for a lot of like representation and I guess lefty kind of things, but it never felt like it really committed to it. Really? That's interesting. Um, I really loved the first season, first few seasons, and then I just lost track, I think. Yeah. And I never warmed to that main girl in it. Yeah, I forget her name, but I know who you mean. But anyway, that's my history with Glee. But they did did an episode and they were sort of like the zeitgeist at the time. Yeah, right. Yeah. And the fact that that's still sort of something so weird became something so mainstream. Yeah. Um, Which is, yeah, again, and they had an interview I read with Richard O'Brien talking about, he's like, yeah, high school dancers now uh, a standard is the time warp. And he's like, how? Why? What, yep. like, yeah, like, <laughs> what world are we living in? Yeah. Well, it just amazes me that, that Meatloaf plays Hot Patootie yeah. at every... Like, I would have thought that was such a niche part of his career that he would probably never sing that song again. But he he, he plays it all the time. with it, yeah. In fact, we actually looked up his performance at, um, at the AFL Grand Final on YouTube yeah. because I was mm-hmm. just wanted to see how bad it was. <laughs> and he was trying to sing Hot Patootie. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, what a crazy guy. <laughs> yeah. I think I've still got two other Meatloaf films on DVD. Really? Mm. What other films has he been involved in? Fight Club's the big one. Is he in Fight Club? Yeah, he plays Fat Bob. Oh, God, I never noticed that. Yeah, and I've got some crappy horror film, I think, called Pelts that he played. Mm, sounds great. The lead. I sounds know. Sounds great. You're looking forward to that one. <laughs> Do one you want to hear something shocking? Yeah. No, I, I won't be shocked by it, will I? I think you will be shocked okay. by it. Okay, 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 okay. I have never seen the end of Fight Club. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm mid level shocked by that. <laughs> but aren't you like aren't you so curious as to like why did I get so far and then stop like you know? Yeah. Oh, maybe maybe I am. <laughs> now clearly the, not. The curiosity is building. We will have a full episode of Fight Club though, so I don't want to I don't want to delve too deep into well, why. Well, look, I'm I'm, not as we'll we'll by leave that. that. We will leave that as a cliffhanger, and people will have to tune in to our Fight Club episode to find out why I never watched the ending, which is great because that gives me time to think about why I never watched the ending and yeah. try and remember because <laughs> <laughs> these things take time. Um, have we um, exhausted all we want to talk about with Rocky though? I think so. Like, I don't think I've got anything else in my notes to talk about. Um, I'll probably think of something, you know, a couple of days down the track or maybe an hour or so in the future, but... Yeah. It is what it is. Just that I just think everyone should see it. I did have a conversation with another friend who had seen the episode pop up but hadn't listened to it yet. And she was saying that she has never seen it. And I was wondering 
you know, I was thinking about like, what would it be like to watch it for the first time at the age of like 25 to 30? And what would be the best way to watch it? Like, should you go along to a shadow cast? I don't know. I think it might be too overwhelming. Do you watch it by yourself or do you watch it with... There's nothing worse than watching it with a a really big fan who's like, do you like it? Do you like it? Yeah. So maybe by yourself. Yeah. Um, So you can see if you can connect with it in different ways. I just felt like when I watched it, I was, you know, I was 16. It was like identity, perfect identity formation phase, perfect like feeling like I don't fit into the mainstream phase of my life and that's why it connected with me so much and I just don't know if I saw it now if I would have that same reaction yeah yeah in the, in saying that though I still just don't think there's been anything else ever like it like yeah. a lot of the times when you watch an old film these days these days or whatever like when you, when, <laughs> when you sit down to watch a classic because you know people are like oh this is a classic this is a classic you, you watch it and you kind of go oh it must have been a classic at the time like you know it must have done yeah. something new at the time because yep. it's quite nothing tame special or now. nothing special now or even boring. Yeah. yeah. Which Rocky Horror isn't boring. That's true. Um, yeah. And I don't think nothing has ever, ever caught lightning in a bottle like it did. Yeah. Even though Napoleon Dynamite really tried to create a cult following, it's yeah. not quite the same. No. <laughs> Well, and think about that. Like, think about how intense that cult following for Napoleon Dynamite was for, like, a couple of years. And then, mm. you know, you say Napoleon Dynamite now and it's just... Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It, it just and how man- manufactured that was, I suppose. Mm. And yeah. how this was so organic. Yeah. You come across a Vote Pedro shirt at a Savers and you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to... You're not going to buy that. <laughs> yeah. I'd feel embarrassed to wear that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this... Um, but this actually, maybe I should get some Rocky Horror merchandise now that you mentioned that. I think that's a great idea. I totally thought you were going to go say, maybe I should buy a vote picture shirt. <laughs> no. <laughs> to be ironic. <laughs> to be ironic. Yeah, well, look, if you have recently watched the Rocky Horror Picture Show and you're not a teenager or someone in their, you know, early identity formation stage of your life, let us know what it was like to watch it as an adult. I would love to hear what that experience was like. So you can reach us on all the normal channels, probably emails best because again the socials are being sorely neglected (laughs) one day they'll be back one day when we employ someone let's get a student on an unpaid internship yeah some poor university student no one's employed at the moment they'll do it (laughs) they'll do it sure (laughs) everyone wants to be a social media manager Mm. brilliant rocky yeah done rocky horror um, Done and dusted. Yeah, we'll be back in a fortnight with just a, a normal episode. Yes, normal episode. Normal, special in its own way, as all our episodes are. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone, and hope you enjoyed part two of our Rocky Horror double feature special. And we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs>